Good morning. Uh, my name is Marcus. I'm one of the pastors. As, we, as is our custom, let's go ahead and take a pause this morning and uh, come to the Lord. So like we've hinted, this morning we're coming to the end of the book of Ruth, the story in our series that we're calling Love That Won't Let Go. And often we engage the Bible like it's this super sacred book of rules, right? And sometimes forget that the Bible wants to show us God's character just by being this like epic story. And the book of Ruth is one of those epic stories. And I really think, I'm not just saying this, I really think that Ruth 4 is one of the coolest chapters in all of the Bible. So you guys are picked a good Sunday this morning. I can't wait to look at it with you. There's lots of ground to cover. Uh, It's going to be a little dense today, but let's jump right in. So for those who have missed a sermon here or there, let's recap Ruth thus far. The story opens on a woman named Naomi, her husband Elimelech, and their two sons. And because of a famine, they leave their home, Bethlehem, and they go to Moab. When they get to Moab, tragedy strikes. Naomi's husband and Naomi's two sons all die, and she's left with just her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Naomi decides to go back home to Bethlehem. Ruth, shockingly, decides to go with Naomi. And so Naomi and Ruth come back together as as widowed, childless women in a patriarchal society. Elimelech, Naomi's late husband, he still has land in his name in Bethlehem, but Naomi can't own that land. Right? R- women could not own land then. This is the curse of all curses. Naomi is in dire straits, and she asks to be called the bitter one instead of Naomi. One day, Ruth gathers grain from the fields of a man named Boaz. Uh, the text says that Boaz is well-respected, he's of noble character, But that's not the most important thing about him. The text also gives us this huge detail about Boaz. Boaz just so happens to be a relative of Naomi's late husband, Elimelech, and thus is eligible to be what's called a family redeemer. So we're going to come back to that in just a second. Boaz notices Ruth, right, notices Ruth, and provides for her and Naomi, right? His mother being an immigrant, Boaz empathizes with them, He actually prays over Ruth that the Lord grant refuge to them. Boaz is a super fascinating character in the story. There's so much to dig into. Uh, Next week, we're going to devote an entire sermon just looking at the person of Boaz, so look forward to that. Uh, But because of Boaz, Naomi and Ruth have enough food for the future. But there is still that huge problem that they have, right? They don't have land, and they don't have children. And so Naomi, the proactive mother-in-law she is, she cooks up a plan with Ruth, a plan that I promise is going to make you sweat a little bit on church on Sunday morning. I found this image on the slides. This comes from like a kid's Bible. So if you want the visual, there's your visual this morning. Um, Long story short, Ruth partially executes this plan. And the night ends with Ruth putting herself out there and proposing marriage to Boaz so that he will be their family redeemer. Tracking so far? This is Ruth. If the book of Ruth were a movie, it would have tons of ups and downs and joys and heartaches spanning generations, locations, set pieces. It is an epic story. And before we go further, as promised, let's talk about this family redeemer concept because it's a phrase we've skimmed over. It's been throughout Ruth from time to time, but it's essential to understand before we close it out in Ruth 4. So family redeemer, you'll see it translated as as kinsman redeemer sometimes, you'll see it translated as guardian redeemer sometimes. 
It's two words in English. It's one word in Hebrew. The meaning is twofold. So first we have family, kinsmen, uh, which in our context means the nearest adult male relative. Right? So to be a family redeemer for Naomi and Ruth, one would have to be the nearest adult male relative to Elimelech, like Naomi's late husband. So that's the family side of it. Next side of it is redeemer. We've spiritualized this term a lot today so that it's about souls and salvation. Uh, but when it comes to Hebrew law, redemption, redeemer, that's a justice term. That's a legal concept, right? It's a, it's a concept that means to put one in right standing again, to reclaim, to correct, to restore, to make right again. In our context, for Naomi and Ruth, in our story, this means land and children. Land and children were everything in this day. And when I say everything, I mean everything, right? They determined the financial security of a family and also secured the family, the family line, so that the family line doesn't die off. Hebrew law, knowing this, sought to redeem families, right? Especially women undergoing tragic circumstances, just like Naomi and Ruth. The law required a family redeemer to purchase land for and have children with the struggling family. So the family redeemer would be a custodian or like an overseer, like a guardian of the land. In this case, it's a Limelech's land. Until a male in the family line came of age to maintain the land himself. If this sounds like polygamy, it is. You're tracking. And while it wasn't seen as an ideal practice in ancient Israel, it was absolutely accepted then. Uh, to be a family redeemer was even seen as honorable. And actually, this law, if you, look at, if you look at neighboring countries, neighboring civilizations to Israel, this law is actually very, very liberal of the day. The greater good was that the most vulnerable in society would be taken care of. This is the context, right, to, to Ruth's audacious request in Ruth 3. Ruth, a Moabite immigrant, puts it all out there and asks an Israelite landowner to be their family redeemer and purchase Elimelech's land. And if we're in the theater watching the Ruth movie, Ruth makes the request, and we're just like holding our breath, right? We're dying to see what happens next. Boaz responds to Ruth, yes, I could be your family redeemer, but unfortunately, I'm not the nearest relative. There's actually another relative that's closer to Elimelech, and he's before me in line, right? He's got first dibs on the property. Jeez. Right? Ruth really puts herself out there, and this is kind of embarrassing, right? Only to find out that Boaz isn't even the guy who can help them. But, right, Boaz continues, stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to this other redeemer. If he is willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Oh my goodness. Right? Think about the journey that these two women have been on together. Naomi moving to Moab, failure. Right? Losing her husband, heartbreaking. Losing her sons, crushing. Naomi and Ruth moving back to Bethlehem without land, without children. But now, odds against all odds, Ruth has put herself out there. And for the first time in a long time, there's maybe hope here. Chapter 3 ends. Right? The movie fades out. Ruth and Naomi are together. I'm picturing them like sitting at a table, giddy and excited and hopeful, but at the same time, try not to be too hopeful about the situation. 
You can almost hear uh, both the excitement and the realism in Naomi's words to Ruth at the end of chapter 3. Right? She says, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. Boaz won't rest until he's settled things today. And I suspect at some point or another, we've been at this table too. Right? We've wrestled and we've prayed and we believe that maybe we have a sense of what God's calling us to do. Right? For the first time, maybe we have this possible path to a new life. Right? We've sensed God telling us to leave the job. We've decided that we're going to tell our small group about our addiction. We've decided to try that new medication. We're going to move our family across the country. We've, we've gone through foster care training. We've finally faced enough, mustered enough courage to face the source of our discontentment. Right? You went to counseling. You asked that person out. You got up and you exercised. You, you woke up early on a Sunday, a Memorial Day weekend, and you got your introverted self to church where you don't know anyone. You did the thing. Maybe you did the three things, and now you're waiting. Waiting to see what God's going to do. Waiting to see any possible fruit that's going to happen. This feeling of waiting is part of what inspired Solomon in the piece that he made for a sermon series this week. Right? It shows Boaz on the left, Ruth on the right, and this unknown path in the center. All right, God, I put myself out there. Now it's your turn. Are you going to catch me, or is this whole thing a mirage? Am I really hearing your voice? Either way, at this point, it's out of our control. And I suspect Naomi and Ruth are sitting with these exact questions at the end of chapter 3. So now our movie continues. Right? We're going to chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ruth 4. Uh, Ruth and Naomi have done all they can do. Now's the moment when they see what God's going to do. Right, Ruth 4.1. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. And we can gloss over it here in English, uh, but the author is doing something kind of cool and witty here. If you notice, the author doesn't mention the other family redeemer's name. Right, our English just says it, friend, come over here, friend. Uh, but that word friend, it's an idiom, it's a Hebrew idiom that's like more generic. So obviously, Boaz knows this guy's name. And most likely, the author, the person who's writing the story, knows this guy's name. Obviously, everyone who's there knows this guy's name. But still, the author is choosing to use this idiom. I like the way I heard one pastor put it. It'd be like us telling a story to a friend, and, and instead of saying somebody's name, we'd be like, yeah, Mr. So-and-so. Or, what's his name, right? Or, like my wife Caroline likes to call people, buddy old pal. <laughs> That's the extent of Caroline's road rage, by the way. Like when somebody cuts us off, look at this buddy old pal. That's her, that's her go-to. Uh, the point is, is that the author is sort of trying to give us like a negative impression of this guy, right? By making him anonymous in the story. Mr. So-and-so, right? Mr. What's-his-name, Mr. Buddy old pal. And this is the moment this is the climax of the whole book here in chapter 4. Boaz, what's his name, in the same place at the same time. Right? We're gripping the movie theater seats. Tense, we're wondering what's going to happen. Verse 3. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. 
If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away, because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. And back in that movie theater, right, our stomachs just hit the floor. Because right away, this confrontation starts in the climax of the movie, and it doesn't even look like Boaz is trying. Right? He's basically just like putting it all out there for this guy. Imagine getting a call and somebody says, hey, great news, you have a distant relative who you didn't know that had land and this beautiful home, and uh, according to our records, you're next in line to get it. Do you want it? Right? This is a no-brainer for buddy old pal here. This is free money. And so, to, sure, to follow the law, he'll have to take in Naomi and he'll have to have children with, with Naomi. But guess what? Conveniently, Naomi is beyond child-rearing age. That means that he can't have a child with Naomi, which means ultimately, Elimelech's land is going to stay with him and his family. Right? This is going to be a permanent acquisition for his portfolio in Bethlehem. Sure enough, Mr. So-and-so replies, all right, I'll redeem it. And our hearts just sink here. This is where Naomi and Ruth's story is going to end? Happily ever after with, with Mr. So-and-so? With Mr. No-Name? What have you done, Boaz? What are you thinking here? Boaz continues with, with a very a crafting and this cunning reveal. Of course, Boaz continues, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Oh, by the way, Mr. What's-His-Name, it's not just Naomi that you're going to have to take in. There's also Ruth. You've probably seen her around. She's, she's the Moabite. Yeah, ew, right? Elimelech's daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is of child-rearing age. So, Mr. So-and-so, you of course know that if you did choose to uphold God's law, part of upholding the law is also having to provide Ruth with a son, a son who of course would technically be Elimelech's heir, heir who of course would technically inherit the land back from you when that son came of age. Wink, wink, right? It's kind of genius. Boaz reveals that Naomi and Ruth are family. And because Ruth is family, Mr. So-and-so isn't going to get to own the land outright. Mr. So-and-so is just going to be the caretaker for the land for just a season until Ruth's son, a son that wouldn't even be full-blooded Israelite, mind you, until that son came of age. Right? This is Boaz's ace in the hole. Everything is on the line right here. There's this pregnant pause. We wait for buddy old pal to respond. Right, the crowd looks on. We're waiting. We're wondering. Verse 6. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Whew. Relief. Redemption. This is God's love that won't let go. This is the moment in the movie where the victory music starts to swell in the background. 
Boaz turns to, to the crowd and says, You are witnesses today that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with the land, I have required Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. I love how, how Boaz mentions Ruth's nationality here. Right? Think, think about how Ruth's status has changed throughout the book. From Moabite to, to foreigner to slave to servant to indecent proposer on the threshing room floor, and now, finally, to wife. Ruth, a Moabite woman, is grafted fully into the people of Israel, God's people. And the name of this family, Elimelech's family, Naomi's family, Ruth's family, can continue and prosper. This ending is so beautiful. It's so profound. Right? The author gives us this nice cherry on top, happily ever after closing verse. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. The women of the town say to Naomi, by the way, this is the same women who have been calling Naomi bitter throughout the story, praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law, Ruth, who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Let that line hit you and knock your socks off. Ruth, the Moabite, better to Naomi than seven sons. Right? Naomi, the woman who went away and came back bitter, empty-handed, with no land, no children, hearing the women of Israel say to her, yeah, but you have Ruth. Why pray for seven sons when you can have one Ruth? Ruth's love for you is so much bigger and better than you can fathom. And then finally, like the movie comes to a close with an image in verse 16. And it's an image that means so much given where we've been. Naomi took Ruth and Boaz's baby and cuddled him to her breast. And she cared for him as if he were her own. I get chills reading this at the end of Ruth here. And I picture Naomi carrying a grandson in her arms, and I feel like I've been through the ringer with her. What a moving story about God's people and God's law and what it means to be a part of God's family. The theater lights are coming back on at this point. The credits are rolling. We're getting up. We're grabbing our trash because we're good moviegoers, right? That follow proper theater etiquette. We start heading out. But just as we're walking out, the music drops low again, and the movie comes back on. And just like your favorite superhero movie, we're getting a post-credits scene at the end of Ruth. Right? Verse 17. The neighbor women said, Now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed? Obed? Wait. What? For audiences who, who, who know their history, for the nerds in the room who know the Israelite cinematic universe happening, this name stops them in their tracks. And just in case anybody is missing the significance, the author finishes it by stating it directly, Obed became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. And this is when we realize that this book 
The book of Ruth is more than just a great story about a single family. This is when you realize that this story is about how God is using Ruth, a Moabite woman, to redeem not just Naomi, but all of Israel. This book that, that began in the days when judges ruled, right? One of the darkest periods in Israel's history ends with the introduction of one of the most famous and noble and God-fearing kings in Israel's history. The book of Ruth is about a love that won't let go, and now there's a whole new layer to that because God uses this family to redeem Israel, to readjust, to, to correct, to restore, to put in right standing again all of Israel in the days when judges ruled. Naomi wanted her name to be bitter. The story ends, and they're calling her blessed. Naomi, or Ruth opens with three deaths, but it ends with a wedding and a baby, and that baby is the ancestor of David. God is a God who is bringing life after death, light in darkness. In God's creation, love is not letting go. God's love is not letting go. But just when you thought the movie was over, and there's more, what if I shared that though the book of Ruth ends here at verse 22, there's yet another scene? It's a post-post-credits scene. The story's not even close to being over. I, wi I wish the author of Ruth could have seen where the story goes. Because this little four-chapter story that's tucked away in the pages of our Old Testament, this is pointing to the even grander story of how God is not rescuing just Naomi and Ruth, not, not God just rescuing Israel, but rescuing all of creation, rescuing you and rescuing me. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to do one more turn here. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 5. Right, we're going to see the same genealogy from Ruth. So verse 5 Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. And this is where the book of Ruth stops. Yet Matthew keeps going with this family line, with Ruth and Boaz's family line. David, the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. And on and on we go following this family line all the way to verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called Messiah. Naomi and Ruth's family line gives us King David, but it's also this exact family line that gives us a much greater king, and that is King Jesus. Right, this line. The line that came about because of Boaz's faithfulness and Ruth's boldness. This line that was almost thwarted by Mr. So-and-so. This line that was marked by unfathomable tragedy. This line is all pointing to Christ and to the day when God, in all of God's glory, takes on human flesh and becomes like us. Not just to redeem a family, not just to redeem a certain group of people, but to redeem all of creation from sin and shame and death itself. So good. Solomon captures this beautifully, I think, in, in his piece again, the inherent symmetry and reflection that's baked into this story. The book of Ruth is Naomi's story of redemption. Ruth is Israel's story of redemption. And Ruth is our, yours, and my. It's our story of redemption. The book of Ruth is a story that hints to this greater story. How God, right now, 
is using the painful parts of us to redeem the world and create something more beautiful than anything was before. It's a story that God looks at us and says, wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. And if we were to go back to Ruth 1, Ruth 2, and ask Naomi, I'm positive that she would not have chosen this path for herself. Her path is full of so much pain and loss and heartache. No way she chooses this. But at the end, Ruth 4, Naomi is looking down at her grandson because God used the relentless love of a Moabite woman, a love that's more valuable than seven sons, to bring about the redemption of not just them, but the world through Obed and through David and through Jesus, who is Messiah. God's response to Naomi is also God's response to us. It's Jesus. You can't make this up. Naomi can't manufacture this herself. For her, like us, there are limits to what we can do, and those limits can be humbling and heartbreaking. And still yet, still yet, God meets her and meets us in heartbreak and bitterness and tragedy. And praise be to God and glory be to Jesus because he is working to weave our story right now into something redemptive. Most of us are still in the middle. We're still in Ruth 1 or Ruth 2 or Ruth 3. We're not in Ruth 4 yet. We've done the thing. Maybe we've done the three things, right? We're not sure what God is going to do tomorrow or next month or next year. And sometimes here our invitation is simply just to wait and to trust, right? To throw the paper airplane, to let go of control, to choose to live in the anxious hope of what God's going to do next. Yet at the same time, unlike Naomi, as we wait and trust, we don't have to wonder if God's listening. We don't have to wonder if God hears us or sees us, right? In a way, our Ruth 4, it's already happened. Because we can look back and we can point to what God has already done to redeem the world. Jesus, who is the Messiah. You can barely see it, but right in the middle of Solomon's piece, underneath all the paint, there's a cross. That even in the darkness, even in the waiting and mystery and the hold your breath, all is lost kind of hope, there's a cross. There's Jesus, Jesus who has already grasped onto us and is not letting us go so that one day our bodies can be brought into God's chesed love eternally. Connection, success, purpose, belonging, significance, whatever our modern equivalents are of land and children, these are all good and wonderful things that we are created to desire. But regardless of where we are, in that story. We are invited to take all of our desires, those that have been met and those who have been unmet, and lay them at the feet of King Jesus. Not because they're bad, not because they're selfish or evil, but because Jesus really is that amazing. All of our desires are a resounding yes in King Jesus. It's the lyric that's almost 200 years old now. You can have all of this world, but give me Jesus. I love the song that we sang this morning, right? Take my life and let it be. 2,000 years ago, Paul writes to a church experiencing persecution, and Paul says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen ascends to God for his glory. It's what's written in the book of Job almost 3,000 years ago. 
God is right now uncovering the deeps out of darkness and bringing deeping darkness to light. This is the gospel just shining through in the book of Ruth. You can barely see it, but right in the middle of your darkness right now, right in the middle of your waiting and your wondering, underneath all that paint, there's a cross. It's a cross that proves to us that we are part of the grand project to redeem the world into something more glorious, more beautiful than it was before. Let's pray.